This past week, um, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, I have had the opportunity to um, meet two young ladies that um, came into my office and for different reasons and under dif- different circumstances. And uh, as the conversation ensued, we got down to the real need in their life. And no matter if your problem is work problems or kid problems or marriage problems or money problems, the real issue is Jesus. Because no matter what your problem is, Jesus is the answer. And uh, Nicole Wallen and Amanda Shepherd came in the office a couple of weeks ago, and we had some good conversation and ended up leading Amanda to Christ and kind of rededicating for Nicole. And I asked, I've asked them both to be able to come and share a testimony in front of their church family. Amanda and Nicole, would you come forward, please? Let's encourage them because they're both scared to death. <laughs> Nicole was able to be here in the first service and uh, do it, so she's not quite as nervous as she was. So I'm not, I'm not going to, just a little bit nervous. Well, I'm going to make you wait, okay? All right. And uh, I've asked Amanda to write a testimony and to be able to uh, read that. Would you do that, Amanda? Yeah. Okay. Um, the past six months have been really hard. I really haven't experienced anything like this before. Um, Therefore, I decided to do something about it. Something I really haven't thought about, but I couldn't, but it couldn't hurt and hopefully make me a less um, selfish person and the oh poor me's. I have a lot of people who I love and I care about and consider my heroes. The people who I really care about and ask for their advice and consider their opinion. These people are my mom, my dad, my brother, Misha, and all my friends, and Lou and Brian Stahl. Lou and Brian are a big part of my life, and they really have changed my life a lot. I started coming to church with them and absolutely felt inspired. Church is now a big part of my life. I feel closer to God I came in one day to talk to Pastor Mark. I think that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I decided to start following God and to see where he takes me and let him lead me to the path for me. I'm a real Christian now. I want to thank Lou and Brian for letting me come and sit with them on every Sunday. I love them so much. Pastor Mark, for listening to me and helping pray, becoming a Christian. I'll never forget how I felt after leaving his office that day. I felt like everything was lifted up off my shoulders. All right. <laughs> that wasn't that hard, was it? Um, am I right when uh, Easter Sunday was your first Sunday? Yeah. Okay. A church, look what happens when you invite somebody to church. Mm-hmm. You just never know what's going to happen. And never doubt how important it is when people that don't know anybody have someone to sit next to that they know. Just never doubt the importance in all of that. Amanda, we're excited to uh, 
be the body of Christ that's going to be there to support you. And Amanda's got some stuff she's got to work through, but don't we all have stuff we have to work through? And uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see her grow in Christ and to be able uh, to mature in Christ. And we're looking forward to see what God's going to do with her life. Nicole Wallen, I think, came in the very same week, and we talked. And uh, sooner or later, we got down to the root of the issue, and it was spiritual. And uh, Nicole wants to read her testimony, though. Hello, my name is Nicole. I've only attended the Nazarene Church a few times recently. On my last visit, I made a prayer request for direction in my life, and Pastor Mark had me meet with him about that. My life has been nothing short of a chaotic mess for a while, with half of that blame on myself. My grandmother passed away recently. My financial troubles have shaken me. Matters of the heart have almost pulled me under, all while trying to raise a little boy to the best of my ability. I felt completely alone. I didn't reach out to anyone suffering alone because of the blame on my own side it kept me ashamed and embarrassed. I didn't know if I could keep going. I felt like I was in a sea of problems waiting to be pulled under. I knew I needed God. I prayed with Pastor Mark on Tuesday, my own prayer. I let everything in my heart come out. The forgiveness that I had been denying myself and distancing myself from God because of, I let go. I let God come back into my life and heart. I no longer want to be the seed that falls on rocky terrain. I want to be thrown into good soil. I want to grow in Christ for myself and for my little boy, Gabriel, so that he can also grow to be a man of God. I stand here today to share that I fought for a long time with forgiveness. I wouldn't come to God because I couldn't forgive myself. I just forgot that God is always here waiting, no matter what, always forgiving if you're ready to ask for it. He doesn't want me to suffer alone. Being saved isn't a fix-all, but it does mean that I can let go of my burdens, pass them on to God, and never go through them alone again. Today I stand before you with a new start in life because I'm a new creation in Christ. Amen. Praise God. Um, I hope you'll get to know uh, Nicole uh, and Amanda and uh, be able to uh, come beside them and uh, be able to have some names that they can be able to say hi to and um, in church and start to really feel like this is a church home uh, for them. Um, statistics say, whatever statistics are worth, that um, if uh, people that come to your church, if by the first two months, if they haven't met two or three new friends, they usually kind of matriculate somewhere else. Church, let's be the body of Christ. Let's be the body of Christ. And these ladies need support, and they need some uh, godly women to be able to counsel them and to be able to have a shoulder to cry on. And uh, we're just thankful for what God is doing in our midst and continue to bring people to us uh, that need his grace. Let's welcome Nicole and Amanda one more time. Thank you all. I've <clears throat> uh, had the privilege since Easter to lead 20 people to the Lord um, including Nicole and Amanda. Uh, and everybody thinks, well, there's some great movement of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. Um, there's a movement of the Holy Spirit in, in me because I have been bolder than I ever have 
No one gets out of my office without me asking eternal questions. So if you don't want me to ask me those questions, you better not come to my office anymore. And I've stopped being shy. And I've stopped worrying about stepping on people's toes. And I've just become bold. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit brings power. And what I found, friends, when you start those questions and you uh, open those spiritual doors, and this is a bad way to say this, but it's, it's the only way that my feeble brain can uh, communicate it right now. It's been like taking candy from a baby. It's like these 20 people have been saying, I've been wanting to do this forever, and no, I just didn't know how to do it. I encourage you, church, be bold. I encourage you, if you're not going to be bold with your son or daughter that you've stopped, that you, that's lost, stop praying for them. Just, just be bold. You've prayed enough. You've prayed enough. Go be bold. If you're not going to be bold bringing to me, I'll be bold for you. And uh, the move that God is doing amongst us is, is, is just, and I've challenged my staff on this, to be able to look people square in the eye. And, and it's not about marriage trouble. It's not about money trouble. It's not about kid trouble. It's not about work trouble. It's about Jesus because that's the issue. And so I encourage you, church, to be bold. And if that's really hard for you, bring him to me, and I'll be bold for you. And I, don't, I, I really mean that. I really mean that because this is too important of an issue to tippy-toe around it under the heading of niceties and being polite. Um, I praise God for what he's doing amongst us, and uh, we're having a luncheon afterwards for new believers and people that have recently committed to Christ and looking to tie them in more and making a group, small group of new believers, and we're looking forward to, to having each of these grow in Christ. If you have your Bible, would you open it to James chapter 2, please? James chapter 2. We're in a series called Faith Works, and we've made it to the second chapter of James. I think we're about four Sundays into the book of James. We're not taking it verse by verse. I'm taking it passage by passage. And today we come to James chapter 2, verse 14. If I told you today that I was an Ohio State Buckeye fan... You might ask me, well, how many times have you been to the shoe for a game? And I say, well, I've never been even once. And you may say, well, how many times did you get to watch them on TV last year? And I said, well, I, I've never watched them on TV. Well, how many times have you listened to them play on the radio? And I would say, well, I've never listened to them on the radio. Well, I bet you're really quick to go get that newspaper and read the count of the game. And no, I've never really ever read an account of Ohio State Buckeye game before. You would really question the fact if I was really an Ohio State Buckeye fan. Uh, and James would too. <laughs> and that's basically what James is saying to us, that if we are people who call ourselves Christian, there needs to be some evidence of that in our lives. That if someone would haul you into court and accuse you of being a Christian, there needs to be enough evidence to convict you. And that's what James is very, very concerned about. 
James chapter 2, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do. If you don't, grab one of the Bibles that are close to every exit. If you have one of the Bibles with a black cover, it's on page 848. James chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says, under the, this is James writing the brother of Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Back at verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? What good is it if someone claims to have faith, but they have no deeds? What good is it? The Greek word that's translated into English, what good is it, is the same Greek word that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's arguing for the resurrection. And if he says, if, I, if God, Christ be not resurrected from the dead, what did it profit me that I fought wild beasts in Ephesus? Same exact word there. What did it profit me for me going off here on these missionary journey if Jesus not be raised for the dead? What good is it? What good is it, he says. We moved into our new house a couple of Thursdays ago and on a Thursday afternoon and dropped it and went to Indianapolis for seven days. And Sue came back before I did, so she had to mow the grass first. <laughs> you like how I worked that out, didn't you? And we negotiated Max lawnmower into the uh, riding mower into the deal. And so Sue mows the grass, and I come back, and, that, and the, the lawnmower has a flat tire on it. Now you tell me, what good is a lawnmower with a flat tire on it? What good is it? There's nothing can happen until I take that tire off and take it to Detroit Tire and get it plugged. There's nothing can happen. What good is that lawnmower? That can be the lawnmower of all lawnmowers. That could be the best riding mower that... that uh, has ever been seen, but it's absolutely of no use to me with a flat tire. And James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? If you have faith and it's not accompanied by deeds and action. In the laundry room of our house, we have a cabinet that neither Sue and I can reach. What good is that? It's a beautiful cabinet. It would hold a lot, but we can't reach it. What good is that cabinet? It's absolutely no good to us. It's useless. It's not at all being used for the reason that it was supposed to be used. We can't even reach it. What good is it? There's a safe. Mac had a safe in the house, and he gave Sue the combination, and Sue won't give it to me. <laughs> what good is that safe to me? It's absolutely useless to me. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
I unlock the community center about 6 o'clock on Sunday morning. So Apex comes in there and sets up. And we still had a basketball sign up from the camp a couple of weeks ago. And I went and got a ladder and took it down. And it, it, it's, the ladder was all, it's a metal ladder, it was all rickety. And it about halfway collapsed with me. And I, I, what good was that ladder? I took it and threw it in the dumpster. What good is it? It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was nothing to it. Why, why even have a ladder like that? I threw it away. What good is that ladder? My mother has struggled with anxiety all of her life. But she won't take her medicine. What good is that medicine? What good is that prescription? What good is that wisdom of the doctor? What good is that? James says, um, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? I've got a treadmill that I won't get my lazy self on. What good is that treadmill? That's what James is trying to say. What good is it, church? Christians get divorced at the same exact rate that non-Christians get divorced. What good is our faith, church? What good is it? It's useless. What, 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 what good is it? Our faith. My dad used to say, if, if, if your faith doesn't make you Treat your own dog better. It's less than God wanted it to be. <laughs> what good is it, church, if statistics are right and say 30% of the men in church this morning all over this country are viewing pornography on a regular basis? What good is our faith, friends? What good is it? good is it, friends, if, if Christian men and women don't handle themselves sexually differently than the rest of the world does? What, what, what good is that? What, I mean, why are we Christians? Oh, i tell you what the good is it, of it is, Mark. We go to heaven. Uh, no, you don't. Can such faith save them, James says? A faith that is unaccompanied by a changed life? A faith that is unaccompanied by action, a faith that is unaccompanied by deeds, can that type of faith save them? And, and, and that's a hypothetical question. I mean, the obvious answer there he's arguing for is no. And, and down a few verses later, he says it's a dead faith. It's dead. That's why a lot of people don't like the book of James, because it, it hits you square up in front of the eyes. 
I mean, it hits you square in front of the eyes. You know, not too many people get comforted by the book of James. Everybody says, I love the book. I don't know why people love the book of James. It convicts me every time I read it. It's like someone would come, come and tell me that I, I want to hear a message on hell. Why do you want to hear a message on hell? That's absurd. It just reminds you that some of your family is going to hell. I hate to preach those messages. What good is it? What good is it? If my faith doesn't make me a better husband. I spent all day yesterday scraping wallpaper off. Wallpaper's not of God. I, I know it's not. And so after spending all day scraping wallpaper, I got a little irritable. And I snapped at Sue. And I had to come back to her and apologize because I'm a Christian. And I don't act that way anymore. And it grieves my spirit when I act that way. And God loves me so much he puts his heavy hand upon me when I act that way. And I had to go back and say, Sue, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And she goes, I already have. I mean... If I just didn't ask for forgiveness and let one unforgiveness stack on top of another unforgiveness, stack on top of a third and a fifth and a tenth and a twentieth, we'd be like any other couple in the world. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? Verse 18. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. James writes, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. I, I, I think James is speaking a little sarcastically here, and I, I think he's saying, you believe that there is one God? Big deal. Even the demons believe that. Isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it kind of scary to think that church people can have a demonic faith? The demons are orthodox. The demons believe that this is God's word. You know that? The demons believe that Jesus died on the cross. The demons believe that he was raised from the dead. Do you know that? They believe that. They believe that. But it's simply a mental ascent to some truths. And it's never made that difficult 18-inch trip from your head to your heart where all the change happens. You believe that, that there is one God? Good. Good for you. Good, good. Pat yourself on the back over there. 90% of the people in the world believe there's one God. 90% of the people in the world believe what they would tell you today. They believe in God. Good. The devils believe, James says. 
The devils believe, James says. Not Mark, James says that. James writing here, I mean, I mean the very first sentence of James 1 says he's writing to the, the 12 tribes of Israel that have been scattered. He's, so he's writing to Jewish Christians that have been scattered because of the persecution in Acts chapter 8. So he says, you believe there's one God? It harkens back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. All Orthodox Jewish services last night started with, with Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he says, you believe that the Lord is one? Good, good, good. Even the devils believe that. It's so much more than believing the right things. Believing the right things is part of it. When you get the head and you get the heart together, you, you can really be an instrument that God can use. But someone that just has it in the head or someone that just has it in the heart, God can't use those people. But someone that has it in the head and has it in the heart, God can use that person. It's just not a mental assent to some truths. You believe there's one God? Well, good for you. Let's all stand up and clap for you. Even the devils believe that. And then the next two words are, and they tremble and they shudder. It's like James is saying, at least we get some type of a response out of them. At least we get some kind of emotional response out of them. They tremble and they shudder because they know the power of God. Don't you all feel comforted this morning? Wouldn't you rather just talk about heaven? Wouldn't you just rather talk about heaven? Verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? There's that word again. Was not our father Abraham? And then he gives us two examples of faith that was not useless. He gives us two examples here of faith and action, faith and deeds. He gives us two examples of true, genuine, real faith. And he goes back to the Old Testament. And he says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. James is not saying that, that, that by our actions we're saved. He's, he, knows, he knows the gospel. He doesn't even take the time in the whole epistle to explain the gospel. He assumes the gospel. He assumes that you've read the writings of Paul and you'll understand that it's by grace through faith. He assumes that, but he's arguing for something that must have been some kind of misinterpretation of what the apostle Paul taught and wrote. And he's saying it's faith and it's our actions working together, working together. And so he says here, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete. It's the word mature. It's fulfilled. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture, and the scripture was fulfilled. The scripture was true. The scripture was proved right when it said Abram believed God and God counted it as righteousness. It was proved right because of what Abram did in Genesis chapter 23 or 24, wherever the Isaac account is. Do you remember that story? 
Abram was an old man, past childbearing years. His wife, Sarah, was barren. And God put it, walked him out in the night sky and said, look up here, and all of your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. He says, can you count the stars in the sky? And obviously he couldn't. He says, that's how many your descendants would be, you old man who's got a wife that can't deliver kids. Now, will you believe that, Abram? And the Bible says in Genesis 15, the Bible says, Abram believed God. And God counted it as righteousness. What did he believe? He believed the promise that you're going to have as many kids as there are stars in the sky, even though you're an old man and your wife is barren. Abram, will you take me at your word? Abram, would you stand on my promise? Abram, would you believe? Not in me, not in me, because the devils believe in me. Would you believe me? Would you take me at my word? And the Bible says Abram believed God, and God counted that belief as righteousness. And what James is arguing, he says, that act on that night sky when Abram believed God, that statement that he believed God and was counted as righteousness was fulfilled in the Isaac account because it showed that he truly believed God enough to take his son, his only son, to the altar. I don't know if I could have done that. I don't, well, you could have if God told you to. I don't know if it's that easy or not. He said that back what happened in 15.6, Abram believed God was fulfilled by what he did. And then he goes to Rahab. And then he tells another Old Testament story. In the same way, was not even Rahab, verse 25, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different location. You remember that story? The spies were sent out to Jericho to search it out and to spy out. And somehow they come upon Rahab and, and, and Rahab hides them because the, the men of Jericho were, were looking for him. And she hides them and she says, I know that, that your God is, is truly God. And she hides them and then she, then she lets them out of her place and says, go hide three, three days up in the hills and then the guys will be gone. She protected them, this Canaanite prostitute. She, she believed and she's exercised enough faith in this God that she probably had very little knowledge about. And the Bible says she was righteous. And she shows up in Hebrews chapter 11 with all the rest of them. That was a risky faith there, friends. It was risking her life to hide those two spies. And then the little deal they worked out, she says, you know, I'm going to help you if you help me. And she says, and she said, hey, listen, when you all come back and take Jericho, Will you spare me and my family? He says, yeah, if you put this little scarlet ribbon or whatever it was outside the window and everything will be cool. And so when the Israel come and knock down the walls of Jericho, they spared Rahab and her family. And the real funny thing about it is in Matthew chapter 1, she ends up in the family tree of Jesus. God has got a sense of humor. It's a risky faith, friend. It's risk your own life. 
She risked her family's life. What, what, what kind of risk did Ab- Abram take? I mean, it's, it's risky to trust. And any form of trust is risky. If, 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 if I do some kind of a trust fall right here and people back here, that's still risky. Faith by, by just the nature of faith and trust is risky because you step out into area that you don't know. You do not step out into solid ground. You step out into areas you cannot see because faith is not being able to walk by sight. See, we want to walk by sight. We want to, we want to believe in stuff we can feel and touch and grab and smell. Faith is a risk even of itself. You've never seen God. You didn't see Jesus die on the tree. You don't know 100% that it's true. It's a risk. You're laying your eternal destination on it. A risky faith. James points to Abram and points to Rahab and says somehow this faith and action and deeds and works, the way it works out is by taking a risk, by taking a step. Trust is uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want to trust on anybody else. And you don't either. You want to trust by yourself, on yourself. You want to lean on yourself. You don't want other people to help you. But the very basis of the Christian life is you've got to believe on what someone else has done for you and what you can't do for yourself. That's uncomfortable. It's risky. So I ask you, church family, if part of this living by faith is taking some kind of risk into uncharted territory, what could God be leading our church into? Or leading you into? I think it was risky when we let a Baptist church rent our facilities over here and we didn't give a rip about that. And there's not a single one of you pushed back or argued with me on that. There's not a single one of you did. I had some, I had some preachers argue with me about it. It was risky because some of our people might like Apex better. And they weren't ours to begin with. Have some faith and trust. I mentioned two weeks ago about Habitat for Humanity. We got all, these, all this land over here. What about if we gave some of that away for Habitat for Humanity? I've had three people come up to me and said, Mark, I, I'm praying about giving some leadership to that project. I don't know what's going to come of that. I haven't even mentioned that to the board yet. What about it in your own spiritual life? Is there a risk that God is asking you to take? Is there a risk that God is asking you to take? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure I want to go there. It's, well, I, don't, I, I, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel there. I don't know where I'm heading there. Yeah, that's because it's faith. The 
path of the right, 4.18 or 19 of Proverbs, thank you, Jesus. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. Did you hear that? The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn when you can't hardly see anything, but shining ever brighter as you walk and take steps of faith with him. Diane has asked some of you, Pastor Diane has asked some of y'all to be Sunday school teachers and children's workers, but you're scared. You're scared. You don't know if you could do it. Nicole or Amanda, one of the two, or maybe both of them, they didn't want to come up here and give their testimony. I said, do you trust God or not? I mean, you just, you just trusted him with your internal destiny. Would you trust him to stand in front of these people here? Sure, it's uncomfortable. Sure, it's out of your comfort zone. Church, I'm asking you, what is the Holy Spirit telling you right now that you need to take a step that's uncomfortable and a risky step? Some of you husbands need to grab your wife's hand and pray with them at home. And you're scared to death. Take a step. Take a step. Some of you, some of you want to honor God with your finances, but you're scared. You're scared. Because the numbers don't add up. Take a step. Take a step. Well, I don't know where. I don't, I don't, I know you don't. That's faith. Some of you want your life changed. Some of you want change in your life. And somehow you think Jesus might just be the answer, but you're scared. Because you don't have any friends that are Christians. And you don't mind coming to church, but you know if you really become a Christian, that means change, and you're not sure what you'd look like. And you're scared. Some of you here are Christians, and you know you're Christians, but you're holding back parts of you, and you need, know you need to lay it all at the altar and surrender it all and give everything to him lock, stock, and barrel, but you're scared. It's faith. It's a risk. Trust, faith, in and of itself, is scary and risky. Chris, I think I've told this story. Christopher was little. I don't know. He was four or five and had a Band-Aid over some kind of boo-boo. And it's time to take that Band-Aid off. I said, hey, man, just let me rip it off. What? And, you know, he freaked out. You know, I said, listen, it'll be much better if you just let me rip it than if we just kind of. And I said, would you trust your dad? You know what? He was scared. He was scared. It was unknown territory. Now he'll just rip it off because he's, he's, already, he's already been proved to him that it's okay. But that first time, he was just scared. And he had to trust his daddy. Would you trust me here, Christopher? Do you trust me, Christopher? Yeah, yeah, I trust you, Daddy. Now let me rip it. No, 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 Daddy. 
And I wonder how many of us Christians are like that. <laughs> Love you, church. I'm just preaching what God's Word says. And I want to challenge you today on this whole risky faith business. And I don't know what that means, and I have no clue what a risk for you means. And a risk for you means differently than a risk for you and differently than a risk for her and differently. I don't, I don't have any clue, and I'm not going to put the risk in your mind. But is there something that you know you need to do, but you're scared and you need to step out on faith? I was a new Christian. I, I probably, I don't know, less than a year and a half old. And I wanted to go to Promise Keepers. And I already used all my personal days at, at Sterling High School in Sterling, Illinois. And I could have done like the world does and just call off, you know. I got a stomachache. And, and lie, that's all it is, it's just lying. So I knew that wasn't right, and that certainly wasn't Christian. It would be denying who I was as a Christian to do that. So I went into Tom Gerke's office, my principal, and I said, listen, Mr. Gerke, you know I'm going to go into the ministry here at the end of this year, and I really want to go to this conference, but I don't have any personal days left. You just care if I take two days off. He goes, no, no, go ahead. I just trusted God with it. I just touched God with it. I wonder how many people that work on Sundays that wish they didn't work on Sundays would pray about it, ask people to pray about it, and then walk into that boss's office and ask for Sundays off. Trust. What's the boss going to say? No. Who can, I mean, if he says no, that's the biggest deal they can say. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If you say you have faith, but it's not accompanied by a changed life. James obviously says, it ain't any good at all. Can such a faith save anybody? Let's pray together. Father, it's not, my, um, it's not my agenda to take anyone's assurance away from them today. But it's my agenda that everyone that you have put under, spiritual, under my spiritual care will make it to heaven. And your word, not only in the book of James, but in other places, says that this faith that we have is a faith that works itself out in love and works itself out in actions and works itself out with a changed life. So I pray you'd help us. And I pray for that one person, five people, 10, 15 people in here that are just in church today. They don't have faith. They're just in church. Or maybe they think they have faith. They've even joined the church. They've even prayed a sinner's prayer. But it's never, ever done anything and changed their life. Can such a face save them, God? We'll spend a few minutes right there where you are talking to God.
respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit on your life right now. Hear our prayer, O Lord. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Karen Cummins, do we have a Matthew chapter 7 passage up there? You know, Jesus agrees with James, don't you? This is not this different teaching. Jesus speaking, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will know them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes and, and, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. There's no problem between James and Jesus here. It's not a different teaching. I hope you take it seriously and by the grace of God and by the movement of the Holy Spirit bring your life into conformity to the truth. And if you don't know Jesus in this life-changing, born-again, why do you think we call it, why do you think the Bible calls it born-again? It's new. Born-again. That's how revolutionary getting saved is. You're born again. Theologically, it's called regeneration. Regeneration. Don't settle for anything less.